You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. First, I want to say it was so awesome to meet so many of you out in Montana. I was out in Whitefish, Montana for The Last Best Ride, which is a gravel bike event that offers stunning views of Glacier National Park. And you earn every one of those views. It's 92 miles long and has well over 8,000 feet of climbing, most of which feel like happened between, say, mile 40 and 70. I really loved it, and I really, really loved seeing so many women from our audience out there just crushing it. It was super, super special and very, very inspiring. Okay, so this week I have on Dr. Heather Hirsch, who is an educational whirlwind in the menopause space right now. She does menopause consultations at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, and is faculty at Harvard Medical School. Her practice focuses on perimenopause and menopause symptom reduction, hormone therapy, genitourinary syndrome of menopause, sexual health, breast, and bone health. We met through Instagram as one does these days, and I really just loved her ability to speak clearly about the complexities of menopause hormone therapy because it is very complex. I hear from women every single day who have started hormone therapy, but they're not sure if it's working. Some symptoms seem better. Some feel like maybe they're even worse. I hear from women who aren't sure where to start or even how to start talking to their doctors if they're curious about menopause hormone therapy. So many questions, so many options. And she is just able to sort of break this down so very clearly. So whether or not you're on hormone therapy and full disclosure, I'm not. I think you'll find this conversation interesting because it speaks to stuff we should all be doing regardless, which is taking inventory of how we're feeling and being proactive to feel our best. We also talk about some of the lesser known symptoms of menopause, which I always find really fascinating. Okay, before we get to it, just a couple of quick things. First, we hit number 53 in health and fitness Apple podcasts in the US last week. And damn, I just wanted to thank you all. There are a billion health and fitness podcasts out there and hitting anywhere near 50 is amazing to me. And I'm really grateful for you all for tuning in and helping us to grow. Speaking of, we are coming up on our 100th episode. Today's show is episode 95. And I would love to hear from you all. And I would love to bring some of your voices onto the show for that centennial episode. So we have set up an online voicemail inbox for you um, to leave messages for me over the next few weeks. So I would love to hear what you've learned, any changes you've made, how the show has impacted your life, you name it. Just tell me who you are, first names are fine, and what you want to share. Just go to the website, speakpipe dot com slash hit play and hit the button that says start recording. It is super, super easy. If you don't like what you did the first time, it lets you re-record it. 
I find these things super intimidating and I couldn't believe how easy it is. And then just leave a message up to 90 seconds long. Again, that is speakpipe.com slash hit play. I will put a note in the show notes that you can just click on and leave your message for me. Also, Feisty Media, which is the company that powers this podcast, also puts on Outspoken, which is a summit for leaders in women's endurance sports. And this year that includes gravel cycling. They are now taking nominations for their Outspoken Awards, which include recognition of coaches, athletes, race directors, and more making a difference in this space. So you can go there and view the categories and nominate someone at womensperformance.com slash awards. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. All right. Finally, a quick thanks to NutriSense for their continued support of the show. I have been trying the ketone supplements that Louisa Nicola talked about on the brain health episode, and they're also supposed to be good for managing blood sugar. So it's been interesting to be able to watch how all this is going in real time, and you can stay tuned uh, for what I learn in a later episode. As always, check us out at feistymenopause.com. I have a newsletter, which you can subscribe to there. It comes out every Thursday. You can join our private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at feistymenopause.com. All right, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, Plus, even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. 
I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support, and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the Otter is stuffed, with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter's taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. Okay, Heather, I am so happy that we have finally made this happen. You know, we've had a, a couple of false starts, but here we are talking and it's gonna be a great conversation. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. And yes, one too many false starts. It always is that way, but then I think it makes the best, the best show. Yeah, I agree. It's all good. Um, so I want to talk a lot with you about hormone therapy specifically. You know, your website, I, I love your Instagram. I'll 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 put show links in the notes so everybody can find it. But you know, one of the things that you're you talk a lot about hormone therapy and what it is, what it does. And I feel like it's still the great wild west out there as far as what it is, what it does, how to dial it in. And, you know, my audience here, you know, when we've we've asked them in the past, you know, who's on it, who's not and that by all means could have changed in the past six months because it changes so quickly. Most people were not, but we had a fair number of people who were, but almost everybody was a little hormone therapy curious, right? So I would just like to talk about um, what, what, like, where does a woman start? Like, if a woman is considering it, where should she start? Who should she, should she talk to her ob Jin? what kind of answers should she expect to them? You know, like if I'm, if I'm like, maybe who do, where do I start? That is a great question. And it's taking it one step back is that I always say to my followers and patients that 
there is no one right or wrong answer here. There really isn't. It is an individualized path. And there are so many different health backgrounds, preferences, priorities, and medical conditions that can really sway, you know, you one way or the other. But I do think that a great place to start is really basic with tracking and journaling. And by that, I really mean kind of sitting down and really taking stock and inventory and like how you're actually feeling. Mm -hmm. A lot of us who are high achievers and type A people are very, very busy and very athletic. Um, will tend to uh, go, 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 go until all of a sudden like something happens. And usually in midlife, it's either someone gets sick or, you know, it's kind of something big where you kind of finally take stock in things. Now, if they're listening to your show, they've probably been doing this all along, but actually kind of thinking through what are the symptoms and how severe are they and how long have they been going on? Now, we know that about 75% of women have symptoms that last five to seven years. Which knowing that, you know, if you're in year one or year two and there's this idea that it's going to end soon, but now I'm telling you, maybe it's not, (laughs) that's not meant to scare you. It's simply meant to know that, you know, you might not want to get five years into this and look back and think like, oh, why didn't I talk to someone? So I think starting with really journaling and tracking, what are your symptoms? They could be hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, anxiety, um, joint aches and pains. That's a big one. Memory changes, brain fog, cognition, mood changes, irritability, anxiety. We kind of already mentioned that. And, you know, I always say if they're happening more often than not, more days than not, if you're not sleeping less than you are sleeping well, and this is consistent in a pattern, you should definitely think about it. You could think about what the treatment options for menopause and you, your listeners may know a lot about lifestyle supplements over the counters. That's kind of bucket number one. Bucket number two is sort of those non-hormonal prescription medications. And then bucket number three, which we'll get more into is sort of what does hormone therapy actually mean? Right. Right. So do you direct them in the buckets in that order per se? Well, yes and no. The answer no is only just because most of the women who come out to seek me typically do want to talk about hormone therapy. So okay. there's only this selection bias. So they're like, ah, Dr. Hirsch is really knowledgeable. Or I started with Dr. Um, you know, Dr. One and Dr. Two, and now I'm just going to go see Dr. Hirsch. So that's probably more selection bias. Gotcha. Um, but I really like to think with my patients through those three buckets. You know, what are the lifestyle supplements, um, uh, you know, uh, devices, wearables that we can use? Mm-hmm. What are the non-hormonal medications if you prefer that classification or if you can't take hormone therapy or if you are a candidate for hormone therapy? What is in that bucket? And, 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 and what is actually safe? Because before we got on, we were talking about how it is a little bit of uh, the wild, wild west. And so thinking through like, what is bioidentical? even really mean is something we can certainly discuss. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Are there, before, I, I definitely want to lean in to the hormone therapy and do a lot of defining there because there is a lot to talk about there. But mm-hmm. are there are there things in those other buckets that you find you most helpful in your practice? So absolutely. In the lifestyle and um, supplement and devices, I think that one of the, actually what we know, NAMS, the North American Menopause Society, in most randomized controlled trials, the most effective form of symptom control is actually cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT mm-hmm. for short, or basically 
biofeedback therapy. Now, this is certainly something you could do with a trained clinician, although I wouldn't say there's a whole bunch of people who specialize in menopausal symptoms, but a lot of people do this without actually knowing. So if they're meditating, if they're noticing hot flashes and they're, um, you know, sitting down and taking deep breaths or um, they're journaling or tracking, if they're feeling anxiety, that's essentially you you doing CBT at home on yourself. Right. And I think that even if you're going to go to bucket two or bucket three, be it non-hormonal or hormone therapy, having all those foundations in bucket one is so important because these can, they're not miracles, <laughs> right? Um, sometimes people say that, but your backbone, your core and sort of how you can calm your uh, sympathetic nervous system and activate that parasympathetic nervous system to help you calm down is crucial. And then sleep hygiene is so important, especially for athletes, especially for high performing women, we really have to prioritize sleep. So, you know, sometimes if I'm helping people who are tipping into one bucket or the other, if you're sleeping three or four hours, we, mm -mm, there's actually risks if we don't start treating you. And, you know, non-hormone therapy is uh, a mixed bag to be totally honest. Most of the options in there are used off label. So they're in the antidepressant class. Now, most women kind of shudder at that word, right? And actually, therefore, they might actually think hormone therapy or actually replacing the estrogen, testosterone, progesterone that you're missing kind of sounds more natural than antidepressants because they're really kind of band-aiding some of the symptoms, especially hot flashes. So then we kind of have bucket number three, which let's dig into. Where should we start? Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I just want to put a little bow on what you said, because I think that whole um, cognitive that comes up so often on this show, I can't tell you cognitive behavior comes up again and again and again. And I feel like I talk a lot about terms of dominoes when people are like, where should I start? I'm like, you want to hit that domino that's going to have the greatest knockoff effect on everything else. And you mentioned sleep. So that comes up, CBT comes up again and again for improving sleep. And I think even, and we'll talk about this when you, when you use hormone therapy, a lot of times it's just, it's taking down the hot flashes and night sweats, improving sleep, which then has this incredible knockoff effect, right? On anxiety and all these other things. So brain fog, it's really interesting. So uh, I think people are very quick to just gloss over the cognitive behavioral therapy part, because it sounds like, eh, you know, the mindfulness, but really paying attention to that, especially since it's come up a thousand times on the show, I think it's very yeah. worthwhile. Um, but, the, but let's talk about hormone therapy because of, you know, one of the things, I mean, if my understanding again, from all these conversations that it's really, really great for those classic symptoms of the disruptive yeah. menopausal symptoms, correct? It's great. It's actually the only really yeah. FDA approved option for menopausal symptoms, which include hot flashes, night sweats, um, bone loss, preventing bone loss, I guess the mm -hmm. other way to and genitourinary syndrome of menopause. So it's actually like the only FDA approved option that's actually for menopausal symptoms. So, you know, when we're talking about hormone therapy, um, it's actually, it's hard and it's not hard. Um, but there's, you know, a three kind of things to think about here. There's estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Okay. Uh, EPT, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. And um, you can, I, I kind of think of them as like siblings, like the three sisters, if you will. And, um, you know, you can, for someone who's, you know, a little worried about hormone therapy, what, what they're mostly potentially worried about is the estrogen effect. Progesterone can be taken without estrogen. 
and I can get more into detail, but, and progesterone alone can be very, very safe, really isn't been shown to increase any risks, any stroke, any clots, any cancer risks. And it alone can be absolutely helpful. Actually, testosterone as well can be actually taken without progesterone, without estrogen. And testosterone can be an option that's more helpful for low libido, maybe energy, muscle mass. It's not totally clear, but um, that's another option. And then if you are taking estrogen and you have a uterus, which nowadays most women do, but not all, you must take a progesterone and then you don't have to take the testosterone or you can. So there's actually, there's so many different ways to do it. And it really actually comes down to kind of teasing out what are the main symptoms and what are you a candidate for out of those three siblings? And then, you know, before you kind of ask me just another couple of questions to dissect that out, because I think that's so fun to think of it that way, is there's basically these three hormones that we're losing, is that uh, I really stand for evidence-based practices around hormone therapy. So NAMS, that's the North American Menopause Society, which I actually just helped a group of eight of us rewrite that certification test for practitioners. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> it, was, it was very fun, but so much work. Anyways, <laughs> um, you the evidence base shows that uh, certainly what most NAMS providers recommend or what NAMS states is, um, you know, FDA approved hormone therapy. And within FDA approved hormone therapy, there is a class called bioidentical. And this throws off a lot of people. There's bioidentical that's commercially available and FDA approved. And there's bioidentical that is unregulated and compounded. So you want to go down the trail of FDA approved. And then, you know, most people, and I'm going to assume most of your listeners might prefer that bioidentical pocket of what's FDA approved. That is always a con- source of contention. Um, people always hear the term bioid- bioidentical, and it's the most brilliant marketing term you could ever imagine because it just sounds so beautiful. It's bioidentical. It sounds like feminine and soft and safe. <laughs> And all it means really is estradiol. So you can get, you want to, you know, when you're looking at the formulation of hormone therapy, um, I like to use estradiol and micronized natural progesterone or prometrium as my main forms of FDA approved hormone therapy. And then now the other fun part of that is testosterone has to be compounded, which definitely contradicts what I just said, but that's because there is no FDA approved option for testosterone because God forbid women take testosterone. We did a whole show on it. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. That is problematic. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I've been following the literature on this over the past few years, it does look like the micronized uh, progesterone is a better choice than the progestins that w- women had taken. You know, that are still available. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely, because you know, probably the biggest fear that most women have about hormone therapy. And this is a generalization. There's many fears, you know, fear that I'm a failure or fear that I'm giving in or fear fear that I haven't done enough um, or fear of breast cancer, fear of classic. These are the the common fears and you are not a failure um, because 75% of women have symptoms and it is out of your control. Um, But let's talk about the fear of breast cancer. So that really stems from the data from the Women's Health Initiative, and that study came out in the early 2000s using a totally different formulation of hormone therapy than we just talked about, the estradiol and the prometrium. It was called Prempro or Premarin. And those, yes, conjugated equine estrogens, which come from horses, horses' urine. 
And the the pro part, the progesterone, the progestin, medoxyprogesterone acetate, such a mouthful, is a real lab-made progesterone. And so what they found actually, interestingly enough, is in the Premarin-only arm, which you could only be in if you had a hysterectomy, you could take estrogen without progesterone you have no uterus, actually had statistically significant reductions in breast cancer, prevented breast cancer. Crazy. Now in the estrogen plus progesterone arm, there was an increased risk of four women out of a thousand women over five years who took the oral Primpro. And lots of times we use transdermal estradiol and oral micronized permetrium. So these are totally different formulations. So if we think about that again, four women out of a thousand women over five years, that was the incidence of breast cancer and actually not the death from breast cancer. The death from breast cancer was actually higher in the placebo group than the Primpro group, which is just, you know, a difference between incidence and mortality. But um, anyways, just to throw more fun in this. Now, when they looked at different types of progestin, like you just mentioned, we see that some of the more natural progestins, and I don't want to give that idea that we get the progesterone from yams grown in someone's garden and, you know, run <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always this idea that estradiol. You're not shaving those yams yourself, right? like putting them in the blend tech. <laughs> Exactly. Either way, they are still coming from a lab, but you know, um, that actually some of the different progestins are much less, let's just use the word irritating. And that actually the risk of breast cancer with the permetrium is actually very, very, but basically statistically irrelevant. It's just baseline. At NAM, the NAM's conference this year in October, um, I got asked to present one of the most important papers of 2022, and I'm presenting on a paper that showed Prometrium does not increase the risk of breast cancer. So this all goes back to if you are curious about hormone therapy, thinking through at this point, now we've talked about how bad are your symptoms? Are they affecting your quality of life? Are they happening more days than not? Are they affecting your sleep? And then when it comes to hormone therapy, thinking through FDA approved hormone therapy and really leaning into the estradiol and the safest being transdermal, although I do a lot of oral estradiol as well, and the prometrium, because now we have set up here uh, something where actually, if you're really suffering, sometimes the benefits, uh, I was going to say the benefits outweigh the risks, but sometimes we have to actually also think about what are the risks if you don't take it. What are the risks if you are really suffering? You're not sleeping. You're you're feeling your health deteriorate, but you're so convinced that that that, that this could be harmful or wrong or, or you know whatever. What is the risk of not doing anything either? I talk to my patients about that a lot because there is so many social and cultural ideas that this is natural. We must stick through. But I say, look, so is childbirth. But we you know, have many doctors visits for that and lots of doctors at your delivery. And that's because we now know that we don't have to suffer through childbirth and have, you know, premature deaths. So again, it's not really to say that everyone needs hormone therapy or that's the only answer. Just giving your listeners a slightly different, like take on the topic. Um, and also kind of answer some of those questions about, well, if I'm going to go down that road, how do we do it in the safest, most evidence-based way? Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And what formulation is that progesterone in? Like, how does how does that is that um, is that oral? Yeah. Okay. So, yep. Prometrium only comes right now as an oral. Capsule. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. 
it looks like a little um almost like a little orange candy like it would come from like a pop rocks thing that we ate if you're like an <laughs> 80s baby you'll know what I'm talking about I do um you know you can't break it etc now just for fun we can talk about some other progestins that are also sort of in that safe area um uh actually before we move on by juva is an oral combination of one milligram estradiol and 100 milligrams of prometrium. So it's a really beautiful, you know, they kind of mark it as a bioidentical option, which again, I have a love-hate relationship with that term. Right. That's FDA approved. So there you go. Uh, norethindrone is another progestin. And norethindrone is in the um, something called the combi patch or the Climera Pro patch. So what's kind of cool about this is um, there are certain women for whom I see healthy as a whistle, never really needed a medication in their whole life, you know, are like, oh, I just, so, so a patch is a great idea because you can pop it on your skin and just not even think about it. You don't have to um, take a pill. You don't have to do anything like that. It can stay on if you swim, if you shower. I was just going to ask that even if you run, swim, bike, so for things. my very, very athletic-y women, um, you know, what I usually do is have you ha- have my patients trial it. And I would say, you know, when you're really, really active, sometimes it won't stick so great. There's a gel we'll get to, and sometimes actually it sticks fine. So some people love the idea of that combi patch because it's combi. Combi stands for, you know, estrogen and progesterone and that norethindrone is actually what's in that patch. If you don't need progesterone, if you had a hysterectomy, you could just do an estradiol patch. Um, and there you go, bioidentical. There's also a gel. So for some of my um, uh, athletic women, um, they like the transdermal gel because they can just kind of rub that in their leg, do a one, two, three, let it dry and done. Right. And then take the oral prometrium at bedtime. Um, uh, there's some oral combination tabs that have estradiol and norethindrone and their names are, their brand names are Mimvi and Activella. Those are a combination of really good progestins. Um, and then there's one other thing. There's the levonorgestrel IUD. So if bleeding is something that's also bothersome, and this is a little bit sidetracked, but the levonorgestrel is the progesterone IUD. If actually some women have sort of an aversion to progesterone, sometimes we place an IUD that can keep them from bleeding, especially if you're having lots of the heavy bleeding towards the end of perimenopause. That's just so annoying, obnoxious and anemia, uh, causing anemia that can be an option. And then some women will take an estradiol patch or estradiol gel or estradiol oral. So you see there is actually, while there's a couple of options in the toolbox, there's a trillion different combinations that you can make, which I really enjoy because I really want to individualize that to my patients. So I have some women who take hundred milligrams of oral prometrium and that's it. No estrogen, no testosterone. And that they can start sleeping, feel more relaxed and it's brilliant. So there's so many different ways you can do it. That's excellent. So, um, Invexi comes up quite a bit before we move on. Like what is yeah. that? Is that just estradiol? Yeah. So that is, it, it absolutely is estradiol. So Invexi is a, um, vaginal estrogen. So okay. it's going to go in that vaginal estrogen, um, category, but systemic or not systemic, not systemic. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Um, but speaking of vaginal inserts, <laughs> there is one more I forget, which is the ring. There's something called the fem ring. 
there's also something called the E string or the S string. The S string is for local vaginal treatment and that's estradiol similar to Invixi, which is estradiol and coconut oil, actually it's a really nice option for, to prevent vaginal dryness, urinary tract infections. And then the femring is actually systemic estradiol. Isn't that cool? There's so many ways. I yeah. <laughs> No, it's, it's very cool. Um, where does, and this is always a loaded question for this show in particular, because not that most of my athletes are tested because probably the vast minority are tested, you know, in that category where they have to do drug tests, but testosterone, it's hard for women to get a therapeutic use exemption for testosterone if they're competitive, you know, in a sphere where they are getting drug tested, Mm -hmm. but where does testosterone fit into this picture? Like you've mentioned these two, Mm -hmm. um, I have seen you uh, speak against pellets. I have had many people on the show say, please don't do the testosterone pellets. Can you talk a bit about where and when you go, okay, let's put testosterone into this sibling combination? Yeah, absolutely. I am fascinated by testosterone because we still don't know what we don't know about what symptoms it actually can really help with. And I'll extrapolate on that a little. And you know, the testosterone conversation is really difficult because I always say, I understand why women, I I understand how women will be drawn to pellets because that's maybe the only thing available. That's maybe the only option they have in their town. Now we do know that super therapeutic levels are not good, especially for acne, hair falling out, deepening of your voice, enlargement of your clitoris, and those things can be permanent. So Let's take it step back. So when to do testosterone. So I have two different examples for you. My first example, I'll have a patient who may say, come and say, oh my gosh, I'm miserable. I'm having hot flashes, nice, what's low libido, da, 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 da. Okay. And I'm interested in hormone therapy. Okay. First thing to do is get your estrogen. And if you need a progesterone for your uterus, get that right. Because sometimes that cures up like libido issues or energy issues. Just like you said, when we first jumped on, sometimes sleeping, does it have direct effect on the brain, indirect effect? Because now you just feel bad. We don't know, but it doesn't matter. So I might have a patient come back and say, I feel so much better. I feel so much better. But my libido is still kind of in the tubes. Okay. NAMS, the North American Re- Menopause Society. I've, I've spelled it out like five times. You guys are like, no. <laughs> We'll put a note, link in the show notes. <laughs> Very obnoxious with her synonym. They, they, they came out with a global position statement on testosterone. So all the menopause experts globally say, look, postmenopausal women who have hypoactive sexual desire disorder, the definition of which is low libido, that's bothersome to you, not low libido, that's not bothersome, and low testosterone levels are good candidates for physiologic transdermal dose of testosterone, which basically means normal range for women for testosterone is between two and 50. So you don't need hundred or 200. You need a level somewhere 40 or 35. If your level is, if you're starting out level is two. Right. And so that would be a great candidate for someone to trial testosterone. Um, another patient I had, she had a history of, this is a, a sort of an interesting case, but she had a contraindication to hormone therapy because of a history of clots, not cancer, but clots. And um, but she really says it's my mood. I just, I have brain fog. I don't feel physically like myself. I don't feel physically fit. And I sat there drumming my fingers and I was like, you know what? Let's, oh, we checked her testosterone. It was low. And not surprisingly, most women's is postmenopausally. I said, let's try some testosterone. 
She said, okay. I said, well, look, it doesn't carry a risk of stroke or clot. We can't use estrogen for you. So why don't we try testosterone alone? And here's what we know. Well, we know. And I told her what the global position statement says, you know, low libido, da, da, da. But I said, look, there are some small studies that show testosterone improves cognition, improves energy, improves muscle mass. Is it, well, testosterone is not FDA approved in general. Is, is that, you know, if someone else came to me when I was doing primary care and said, I'm fatigued and I try testosterone, well, let's figure out what's your thyroid. <laughs> right. But for this patient in general, um, you know, we had already done all the testing, gotten all her labs, thyroid was normal. She was having menopausal symptoms, your classic menopausal symptoms, but really couldn't take estrogen. So I said, let's try testosterone alone. And uh, she came back and she was doing really well. So, you know, we don't know what we don't know, but the main thing that we do know is if we are, those are kind of the global position statements on when hypoactive sexual desire, postmenopausal, um, or oh, I'm going to even throw in their perimenopausal because they're very, very similar um, and at low T levels. Um, and, uh, you know, there are some studies and some women, some people who are looking at longer term studies on its effects on cognition and mood and, um, you know, all those kinds of things. So I think it's fascinating what we might know in 10 more years. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do too. So I saw on your Instagram, um, that you said that women should feel at least 80% improvement in symptoms when they start hormone therapy. Uh, how long does it take to feel that 80% and what should they expect right out of the gate? Great question. So I've been doing menopausal consults for a while now, since 2014, 2015. And, um, I actually always tell my patients, I say, I'm right on the first shot about 60% of the time. That's good. Good. But actually just a little bit better than 50-50. So what I usually do is um, the first question my patients ask, if they're first new to see me, we come up with a plan. They'll say, how, and if it includes hormone therapy, they'll say, how long should I expect this? And I say, well, you should start to notice changes within one to three weeks. Um, sometimes sooner, like that night, some people tell me that night I took it and I slept first time I slept in three years. But also it could take you eight weeks. So on the average one to three, but anywhere between, you know, your first night and about eight weeks. And I see my patients about two to three months after, because I want them to play with it, wear it, does it stick? Does it fall off? Do you hate taking it? Do you forget? And then what I do is I see my patients every two to three months until we get them about 80% better. Again, about, you know, every once in a while, we do get it right on the first try, boom. And we just, she goes off running. But um, it can take one, maybe two tweaks. Very infrequently, it can take more tweaks, but it can. And now this is a little different story in perimenopause. Perimenopause is much more challenging because we're actually dealing with your own hormones that are being very volatile and annoying the heck out of you. So right. I'm kind of talking more about postmenopausally. So I would say on average, sometimes it takes one tweak, two tweaks. Um, sometimes zero because we've gotten it right. And sometimes, you know, three or four or five. Um, so that would be kind of where, you know, you're kind of getting the mark right. Where I think that most women, when they're kind of um, dis discussing with each other, you know, why and, and kind of talking through what what's not working, there's usually either three, there's three main options. It's usually the dose. Oftentimes, I feel like, again, huge assumption here but people are started much, much too low. So you finally get on hormone therapy. And I always say, look, we, we want you on the lowest dose that works, <laughs> not the lowest dose that like kind of works or else why even be on it or the formulation. So sometimes you have to change that for Justin or change, you know, something like that. 
or the route. So sometimes it's doing it, you know, a lot of times people do start transdermal, but heck, I have a lot of patients who switch to oral because they would just rather do it that way. And it actually works better. So those are some of the ways that you can kind of uh, tinker with your medications and a seasoned menopause expert would know how to do that. But then the problem is there's just not that many of us to begin with. Yeah. Therein, therein lies the problem of, you know, um, where we are. And that to me stems all the way back to menopause education, which, you know, as just lay women ourselves, we have really no control over, but that's what I try to do in my other spare time is to really help educate clinicians, residents, medical students, so that, you know, the next generation can have a lot more doctors who are much more comfortable and knowledgeable with these medications. It's a super loaded question, but with the right tinkering, should it work for everyone? Um, everyone who wants it, probably. Yeah. Probably. Every, every, you know, I have a handful of patients. Um, and actually this is what we do. So I would say I'm a little biased though, just because this is like, this is like my genius zone. So I'm going to say that, but, um, and again, I really do want to really reinforce because it's so important to me that I say this a lot, that it does not mean that I think that's the only answer. That's the right. Right. I understand that. Uh, every once in a while, I have a handful of patients who will come back. Um, and we we always say, I always say to my patients, when we're first starting, we're calling it your trial period. And I've kind of made that up as to say, instead of saying you're going on hormone therapy, we do a trial because sometimes that is a form of cognitive feedback. If you say, okay, I'm just going to do this for eight weeks. Nothing will happen to me in eight weeks. I'm going to see how I feel. And if you feel 80% better, you're going to come back and be like, okay, now I know how my body feels with these hormones versus without. But every once in a while, I will have someone say either, you know, some of the side effects bother them. A lot of times that's bleeding. Mm -hmm. mitigated with an IUD. Now, some people don't want that. So, you know, fit, totally fair. I think that's totally fair. Or some people ultimately will feel like um, they kind of just want to stop. And it, it often is related to either some fear that crops back up about continuing on it, which is, which is valuable. You, you are allowed to be, you are the CEO of your own body. So that is, that is fair and valuable. Um, again, so it's usually some kind of either annoying side effect that we can't quite stop, um, which that therefore then actually being off actually is better for them. Um, or um, they just kind of ultimately something creep backed up, you know, and, and that's totally fine. So, um, you know, from here, the question becomes, what if I, and a lot of people ask this, what if I don't have symptoms? Should I take hormone therapy? And that's another loaded question. So I don't know why I just posed it to myself. <laughs> I would have asked it anyway, because it's, <laughs> because it's coming up. I am hearing yeah. because, you know, it, it's kind of a little quieter now, but there was a sort of like a swell of everyone should be on this because it's the only way that you can protect yourself against your, you know, your brain and your heart. And when you look at the literature, it's like, well, that doesn't really say that. That's not what they're really saying. But, you know, it's causing this concern of, I call, you know, it, like the worried well, which I'll put myself in that bucket, you know, like everything's fine, but maybe, yeah, I don't know, maybe I should make sure just in case. Mm -hmm. So, you know, where, how, I have two questions in the follow-up, like, what do you say to that woman? And then, for the women who are on it, like, how do you follow up with them down the line to keep them on it or wean them from it? You know, those are the two things I'd like to take this yeah. conversation in. Yeah. And I think we've done, we're doing a really good job outlining this process. It's, it's very complicated. So 
This one is always tough. You know, there is no right answer. And um, we really, you know, do say that hormone therapy is not used for primary prevention of heart disease, um, um, diabetes. Um, Dementia. Right. It's not used for primary prevention. Now, some of the data, however, is kind of strong, especially for women who start within 10 years. So you're going to fall on one side of this fence, maybe, or the other. I certainly have patients that come to me and say, look, Dr. Hirsch, I've been reading all your stuff. I've been listening to all your stuff. I can see that this is good for me. I want to be on it. And I say, okay, I got you. I hear you. Okay. And I'll say, do we have a hot flash? Yeah. Okay. Do we have, um, you know, I can usually find an indication if we have, we had a bone density, sometimes we can find osteopenia, which is an FDA approval. And almost everyone has some form of genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which will cover your FDA approval. And so I want to make sure that there is a justifiable reason. And I, you know, do my whole spiel of it's not primary prevention, but I say, look, I understand. I read the data as well. And it should be of no bias to anyone else's, but I will probably put myself on hormone therapy because I read about it and think about it and watch it and do it every single day. And I, you know, I, I, the fears that I would have are, 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 are not there. They don't exist. I sleep at night right. knowing lots of my patients on hormone therapy, but that should not sway you. Um, and so, you know, if patients really do want to be on hormone therapy, I really think, and, and they don't like fit a criteria. Oftentimes they do. And I think that women, again, just like we have autonomy to not take hormone therapy, we can have autonomy to take hormone therapy, but I just want to make sure they're clear that they're not walking around saying, Heather Hershed, that this will prevent dementia. Because <laughs> right. that's not true too. Um, and so, you know, uh, so then how do you long-term monitor? So the other cool thing that we know is that there's no longer a stopping point for women who start within 10 years of menopause. And now we're at a point where most women, because of social media, because of people doing podcasts um, and, and opening up about this discourse, do talk to their doctors around menopause. It's it's very rare that now we get like eight years out and I'm like, oh, like no one's ever asked me about this. because, And that might be true, but patients will, will bring it up. So they are talking to, about it with their doctors much closer to their last period. So the data says you don't have to stop. And the new menopause position statement in 2022 that's pretty much hot off the press really aggressively says, look, just because you have a birthday doesn't mean your hormone therapy has to come off. So that doesn't mean you have to be all in either and that you have to take it for a decade. I have certain patients who, after they've been on it for like 18 months or two years, and they're like, okay, Dr. Hirsch, I'm ready to come back off. I say, okay, that's totally fine. And we'll wean you down and one of two things will happen. You'll feel great. Or you might have symptoms and you say, okay, I'm going to add my black cohosh. I'm going to do my plant-based diet. I'm going to go back to my meditating, the things that I did before I started and I'm good. Or holy heck, this is horrible. Put me back on it. Okay. And then, you know, I have a handful of patients that say, I never want to stop taking this. I say, okay. So every year we meet and we say, how are you doing? Are you have any bleeding, any breast centers, any side effects, any new medications, any new diagnoses? Are you up to date with your screening? And if all is good, she can continue on it. Excellent. Yeah, no, I, that, that, I think that's sound advice. And as you mentioned a couple of times, I think that with, with the groundswell of interest and everybody talking about it, we're only going to get clearer and clearer on, on this, you know, in the, in the next. And it's amazing how fast this is all changing, you know, just in the past five years. I can't imagine what the next five years looks like. You know, as we kind of sign off, there's one cool thing that if, um, hasn't been mentioned on your show. There is a new non-hormonal medication that's currently in phase three clinical trials should be out in 2023 called Fizzolinient. It's kind of a mouthful. Yeah. And so it's not, in, it's in that bucket number two. Yep. Not 
hormonal. Um, but this is really cool because this will be a new novel, non-hormonal with FDA approval to treat menopausal symptoms, specifically hot flashes and probably night sweats. And it helps to reduce core body temperature by working in the hypothalamus. Mm. So that's really exciting to me for cancer patients, for women who don't want hormone therapy for whatever their reason may be, um, and, and or those who can't take it. So that should hopefully be out and available next year. Again, it probably will have a fancier name like I don't know. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. But Vizalineant right now is, is, is its generic name. And that's one cool thing. You know, I'm excited to see what happens with people study testosterone more. You know, it's hard for the NIH to dole out money for testosterone in women. They should. And it will be interesting as we, you know, really look at when we're talking about hormone therapy, the different formulations, because knowing that Prometrium, um, could be really safe for you as the progestin is huge. So huge. I am too really excited. Well, do you have thoughts on, and this is something that I have dug into a lot because of the audience and, you know, I've only come across some peripheral things about the intersection of hormone therapy and, and physical activity, like high levels of exercise, whether they be resistance training or endurance. I mean, are, is, do they potentiate each other? Do they, do you need lower doses? Does it not matter? Do we have any insights into this window at this point? And not, not necessarily, although I can tell you kind of what I see. Okay. That's fair. You know, I think clinically, and again, um, I have this lens of uh, uh, the majority of my patients do want to try hormone therapy. And again, I think that was so great to kind of clarify at the beginning of the show because they kind of seek me out for that. And that, that's kind of why, but a lot of patients, I always say, Hormone therapy is not a, a weight loss medication. It's not necessarily a muscle builder, but because of both the, the indirect things that you, you just literally feeling better psychologically sleep, your body, you start to feel literally just more like yourself. I feel like there is this drive to, um, get your exercise group back on or get more into it, or you right. feel like the endurance is better because you're just probably just sleeping better. And we don't exactly know why. The other thing we know is that estrogen reduces the risk of diabetes. So that means that estrogen controls our insulin resistance. And so I think that most people find too, that they can lose a little bit of weight on hormone therapy, which is goes against a lot of what people, whenever I say this, I always get people like, no, but really <laughs> there's no data to show that hormone therapy causes weight gain. In fact, usually women come back feeling better and fitter. Um, and uh, there's a multitude of reasons for that, but I think there is this huge shift in your body. That's probably going to make you feel more energized, more excited, more motivated and overall better. But Again, doesn't mean nothing. <laughs> what do you say to the women who, because that does come up, I, you know, I see it in all the forums, like it caused, it, it worsened my weight gain. It causes weight gain. It causes, like, what do you, like, I'm sure that question has to come up in your practice. Yeah. Well, so, um, there's, so the first thing I say is there's no, there is actually no data to show that there's no data yeah. to show that women who take hormone therapy gain weight. And I do just kind of reinforce this idea that because women, women who take, there is data to show women who take hormone therapy gain less weight compared to women on placebo. And they're like, that can't be. I'm like, I know I to totally, and that's what the data says. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I do not make up. Um, and then we talk about how women who take hormone therapy have less diabetes, and that's probably related to the whole insulin resistance. And then you can just see people's wheels start turning. Most of my patients actually either have a null effect or start to lose weight at about the nine month mark. So weight definitely takes a while, right? A healthy weight loss isn't like overnight. 
if there is weight gain, there's a there's either one of two things. You are an outlier, which happens. In which case, okay, we either take you back off or we figure it out. We we change that dose, that route, that formulation. And if it's anything, it's probably the progesterone. Progesterone is a hormone that rises before a period, causes bloating, PMS, swelling. So whatever we can do to mitigate some of the progestin effects. So I've had women do um, uh, go for IUD insertion so they don't have the systemic progesterone. And they'll notice immediately like a five pound weight loss is all just water from, from probably the progestin. So I never want to say, oh, look, that's not going to happen because that's really dismissive to a woman who is worried about this. And I never say never. But I really do kind of help to show them what the data shows, explain why that makes sense, and then watch them really closely. Excellent. I I feel like we can. Do you, is there anything you wanted to talk to about? No, I mean I feel like we we took that trajectory and we covered it. Is there anything about hormone therapy? Okay, great. Because I did have a couple of questions about other things that I saw on your Instagram that yeah. I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Um, one was sensory overload, which I thought was really interesting. You had a post that said for some women, it's all the senses, the smells, textures, touch. There's a magnification of, for, of senses. Um, uh, that is really interesting to me. I, I'm wondering if you know what is behind that. And then, of course, like, what do you do about it? Yeah, it's so fascinating and so common. And whenever I post about that, it gets wild amounts of people um, you know, selling, telling me, oh, I couldn't wear turtlenecks. I can't wear necklaces. I can't wear certain clothing. I don't want tight clothing. I don't want my husband touching me. I don't know why it happens. I, it either has to do with the indirect or direct effects of the loss of estrogen. I don't know why losing estrogen would make you have higher senses because usually actually if, you, if, if anyone's been pregnant, you know, you have like this dog-like sense of smell when you have high estrogen. So why is it the other way around? But the body is so mysterious. So I have no idea what the downstream effects of that are and how they're, how they're kind of playing around with all your different receptors. So to say, I knew exactly why I would be totally lying. I'm not smart enough, but it's so common and it's so bothersome. I think, you know, acknowledging it, recognizing it, validating it and feeling like everyone else feels the same way is so comforting. I think that's why a lot of those posts or anytime I do a TikTok on it, it will just go completely viral. People are like, oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one that can't wear earrings anymore. Right. It's, it's so many people. Um, and then it's just, honestly, it's, it's, it's just reducing some of the triggers as much as you can. If it smells, you know, not wearing perfume or asking your partner not to wear cologne or perfume. If it's certain types of clothing, just ditch them and be happy, you know, get rid of the ones that annoy you and, and just go with it. But sometimes that comes back, you know, after a couple of years of that, that sort of just transitionary period, sometimes you can reintroduce those things and they're not as bothersome as they were. You know, what's really interesting to me is that this, um, I was wondering if there could also be a little bit of a knockoff effect if you're, if you have that on your sleep. Because I had to start wearing earplugs and sort of an eye mask, like, you know, in, and that helped tremendously. So I wouldn't be waking up. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, maybe I was becoming just more sensitive to that stuff. Right. I think that's a perfect example. And one that I, I should post about too and sort of see how people think, because there's this idea, I'll, I'll tell my patients, your partner, if you share a bed with someone, you know, may breathe and that like ambient change in temperature might annoy you and wake you up. Um, yeah. 
And so I think you're absolutely right. Or you maybe have been all of a sudden you're a light sleeper where you are maybe kind of a moderate sleeper and now like the wind wakes you up or anything. Um, it's so common. Um, and I think having camaraderie and validation, like mm-hmm. that you're not going crazy, your body's not betraying you. This is a real thing that happens to so many women can, can, is really comforting to, to, even though it doesn't solve the problem per se, I think it's kind of comforting. Oh, it helped. And that alone, I mean, as you have seen, I have seen really, truly women, just if they feel like they are not alone or they understand whatever is causing it is enormous for them. Like it really, really helps them. That is that's 100 percent true. Um, Are there any other lesser symptoms that you have found that that are interesting like that? Yes. (laughs) And I always say this with a crackle is that um we could probably do like you know another hour but there are some lesser known symptoms and i'm going to kind of just list them for your listeners because yeah um things like even joint aches and pains and your listeners may know that that's pretty common uh because you may have covered that but sometimes that is um interesting for people to learn and 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 to that point it is crazy to me how hormone therapy can resolve a lot of which is, it's, it will blow, it, it, can, it blows me away on a daily basis to think that there's estrogen receptors in our joints, but vertigo or dizziness, um, new skin reactions or allergies, um, sensitivities, photosensitivities, smells, those things that we just kind of talked about. Um, uh, uh, even like things like seasonal allergies because of histamine release and changes and histamine sensitivity around midlife and menopause. Um, those nausea, these are some more kind of big ones, but actually really commonly related to the menopause transition. Uh, it's fascinating. And I, I love that we're having these conversations now and women don't feel like they're losing their minds you know, when they have this, this. I feel like we've spent so many centuries, you know, just not talking about all of this. Exactly. And it's, it's, I think that there is a renaissance and I think that's been very much aided by social media and people's just opening the discourse, inviting experts on lay women on physical therapists, you know, the whole spectrum of, of women, women's health and people who take care of women and women themselves. And so it's such a cool time to be talking about hormones and menopause. Well, and also, I mean, can I also say that we have women doctors like yourself sitting behind microphones and women who are now in positions of authority and, and platforms that you didn't have before. Yeah. 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 I am very lucky that I get to be able to, you know, say things and as opposed to just maybe my patients hearing it a lot more hear it and other people like yourself can magnify that. And it is, it is really, I guess I take for granted how big of, a voice I kind of have now. And um, it's a beautiful thing. And we want women to feel validated, safe, um, and heard. Mic drop right there. Thank you, Heather, for keeping using your voice. We really appreciate you. And I very much appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we finally connected and I'm happy to be back anytime. Well, that's our show. Come on back next week when I sit down with Ashleen Smith. 
Ash recently won the gold medal at the World Masters Athletics Championships in the 4x400-meter relay at the age of 50, and as she puts it, being smack bang in perimenopause. We talk all about how she did it and much, much more. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap.